I'm actually looking through the notes for today's video and I'm so excited for this video. We are covering some awesome stuff this episode. Get ready. really quick. I don't know if you guys remembered from Wednesday's video or if you watched Wednesday's video episode two, but the content for this video was originally going to be one video. I ended up splitting it across two videos. So I just wanted to jump in quick and go over what is going to be talked about in this episode, which is my personal real estate investing strategy and the overall logic and strategy behind investing in rental properties. That's what we're talking about here, so stay tuned. So I have an example set up here that I'm gonna run through with you, and it's going to show how someone else is essentially paying for your asset. The numbers that I'm using are very round, conservative numbers. They're obviously not the same exact numbers that you'll be seeing when it's time to make your purchase, but I did use extremely accurate numbers. I am kind of crazy when it comes to me really wanting everything in this series to be really accurate and really applicable to real life. So I used in all the numbers that, I've, that I'm using in my examples, I base them off of actual listings that are currently available now. And when I talk about appreciation and things like that, I also use extremely conservative numbers because I don't want these videos to be like an overpromise or trying to sell you on a concept that is not completely truthful. That's what I really wanted to make sure of. So that's the reason why I chose the numbers that I chose. So here's an example of a rental property and the amount of money that you would put in and the amount of money that you would make. So let's say you buy a rental property for $500,000. You put down 20%, that's $100,000, and you take out a loan for $400,000. You put a tenant in the property and you collect $2,500 a month for 15 years. It's literally assuming that you are not increasing the rent at all over a period of 15 years. After 15 years, you have collected $450,000 from your tenants. Can we just like say that one more time? Over the course of what you've collected for 15 years from the tenants in your one rental property, you have collected $450,000. At that 15 year point, if the property appreciated at the conservative rate of 3.2%, that property is now worth over $800,000. So to reiterate, you spent $100,000 15 years ago. You now have an asset that's worth over $800,000 that is being paid for by tenants who have already paid you $450,000. You've brought in $450,000 in income and $300,000 in appreciation. That's a total of about $750,000 in your potential total earnings so far for that property. And again, this scenario assumes that you are not raising the rent for 15 years. In reality, you would be increasing the rent probably at around 3% a year. And even that's pretty conservative. Of course, some years are super strong markets and you can increase more. Other years, maybe you don't increase at all. But overall, as long as your rental property is not rent controlled, you're gonna be able to increase that rent over time. So yes, you are paying your mortgage every month, but you're using the rental income from the tenant 
to do it. You could say that your monthly mortgage payment and the monthly rent payment is simply a wash if you were to never increase the rent. And of course, on the other hand, this is a broad example. So it also doesn't account for specific expenses that are related to property ownership. Like if something was to break or, you know, maintenance fees that come up here and there. To boil it down to the most simple, simple explanation, a rental property allows a tenant to reimburse you for the money that you're paying on your mortgage loan and property expenses. And at the end of the day, you are the owner of that asset. It sounds great and it is great, not gonna lie. So those are the most broad, basic concepts. So now, how do both of these properties play out in real life? What does life look like if you choose to invest in your primary residence or if you choose to invest in rental properties. Let's compare. So I have a scenario for investing in your primary residence and I have a scenario for investing in rental properties. One scenario is not gonna be more appealing to everyone. When you hear these two scenarios, you might be like, I know that I want a primary residence. That's what I wanna do, that's my comfort level. And when someone else hears the scenarios, they might say, they want a rental property. So first, the story for the primary resident. Maybe this is a young couple. Maybe these people love Manhattan. They've been renting in Manhattan or Brooklyn and they love the culture. They know they want to stay here, but of course they know it's expensive, right? So they know they want to live in Brooklyn or Manhattan at least for the foreseeable future. They start looking for a property to live in. As they're looking for a home, they're thinking about features that they really want and the quality of life that they want for themselves as they're living in this home, you know? So they decide that they would like maybe a little balcony or some kind of outdoor space. Maybe they like certain features. Maybe they know they want a doorman and they would like to have a gym in the building. Maybe they're thinking they might have a child. So they're looking for maybe a home office or a second bedroom. These types of features run the price of a property up. Maybe they see some homes that meet some of their criteria, but not all. They found after a couple months of searching that the budget for the place that truly suits them is let's say $1.6 million. It sounds so high, but it is a pretty conservative number for what I described in Manhattan. The maintenance for the unit, let's say is $900 a month and the taxes are $1,200 a month. You put down 20% on the property, so that's $320,000. So right off the bat, you needed to have $320,000 saved up. Plus your closing costs, you need a little bit of buffer room, of course, to make sure that you can afford closing. You're obviously not spending your last dollar on your home purchase. So you borrow the remaining 80% from the bank, $1,280,000. Let's say your interest rate is 3.5%, so your mortgage payment is around $5,750. When you add the common charge fee of 900 with the property tax of 1200, your monthly financial obligation for that home is $7,850 estimate. And of course, when you're buying a primary residence, you're thinking long-term, you know, you're thinking, what is a home that I can buy now that will serve me for the next 10 years? Like, what can I afford today that I'm not gonna grow out of in a year or two? Because you, you wanna be able to hold on to that property for seven to 10 years at a minimum. And that's kind of where it gets tricky. So now you're in it for $7,850 a month. And given the nature of the market, 
the way the market's built, and I can't, honestly, I can't tell you why, I don't know why, but a similar comparable apartment to this $1.6 million home for sale, you could likely rent a very, very comparable apartment for $5,000, $5,500 a month. It would be in a rental building. Maybe the finishes aren't as high quality or maybe the, like, maybe the appliances are, you know, General Electric versus versus a more expensive brand. But overall, the apartment will be very comparable, you know, similar quality of life, and it'll cost less. So maybe 5,000 or 5,500. But of course, because you want to purchase and make this financial investment, you decide to buy and not rent. Buying a primary residence in these early years, you know, in your 20s and 30s, you find yourself balancing quality of life and living standards with how much of a financial burden you're willing to take on today and ultimately how much you're willing to commit to a specific property in a specific location early on in your life. And that's it. So for that example, they purchased the $1.6 million home. Their financial obligation was over $7,000 a month and they're living a perfectly happy life. And now we're looking at the other example, which is someone who chooses to purchase a rental property. Let's take the similar circumstances of the couple or young adult from scenario one and roll them into scenario two. So they wanted certain things in their apartment. They knew they wanted certain luxuries. So in this case, they decided to rent a property for right now. And since they're renting a property for right now, they're going to choose a property that fits their needs right now. They don't have a child yet. So maybe they don't need that extra 300 or so square feet. And they end up falling in love with an apartment that's gonna work perfectly for them for at least the next few years. It's priced at $4,500 a month. They don't need to worry about thinking too long-term because it's a rental after all, they can move whenever they want. They of course also want to take advantage of the benefits of investing in real estate. So they choose to purchase an investment property. So they choose a studio, which will be easy to rent out. They negotiate the price to $600,000 and make a deal. Let's say the monthly maintenance is $400 a month and the property taxes are $500 a month. Obviously a smaller apartment usually results in lower expenses. It's pretty correlated. So you put down 20%, that's $120,000, and you take out a loan for the remaining balance of 480,000. Interest rate for the rental property is going to be a little bit higher than the interest rate for the primary residence, so let's use 4.2 for now. Your mortgage payment is gonna be around 23.50 a month. With the common charges and the taxes, getting you to a total monthly expense of around 32.50. So you rent the property out to a tenant, and let's say you rent the property out for 3,100 a month. For this example, for the purchase price and the monthly expenses, I went a little bit on the higher side to play it safe. You know, when you're looking at rental properties, it's always safer to assume that you're going to owe more than less. And as far as the rent, when I ran this scenario, I used real properties. That is actually the price that you would be able to rent a Manhattan property out for that's priced at the numbers that proceed in this example. So you'd be paying $3,250 and you'd be collecting in rent about $3,100. Those numbers aren't the same. When people buy their first rental property, they always are looking for a property that is going to net them out like exactly, exactly even or in the green right from the beginning. And again, just how renting a similar property is going to cost less than the financial responsibility each month of owning it. It's the same thing. So a property that you own is going to always cost a little bit more than it would cost to rent. 
So that's why the rent that you collect is going to be a little bit lower in the beginning. That's the most important part is that when you purchase a property, you're purchasing a property and you're paying the same mortgage payment until it's paid off. Your monthly fees are mostly staying the same. Of course, your maintenance might increase a little bit over time. Property taxes increase a bit over time, but really that bread and butter of your payment, which is your mortgage, is staying the same. Meanwhile, you're increasing the rent every year. So within a few years, you are breaking even as far as what you're spending and what you're collecting. So I wanted to be really honest about that in this example. I didn't want to just say, you'd rent it out for just as much as you would be paying on it because that's really not common. It's something that you have to deal with for the first few years to reap the benefits later of netting out even and then soon after netting out in the green where you're collecting more than you're paying. That's the overall goal. So for this example, your monthly expenses are the $4,500 that you are currently paying for the place you live in in rent, and you're paying for your rental property that you own, which is costing you $3,250 a month. That's a total of $7,750 a month, which is actually less than what your monthlies would have been if you had purchased the $1.6 million home. So there's a tenant in the studio paying $3,100 a month, which offsets your monthlies, of course, now. So out of pocket, you're paying $4,650 a month. So to sum it up, you own property and your personal financial obligation that you are responsible for paying every month is your rent of $4,500 plus the difference between what your owned property costs and what you're collecting in rent. That difference right now is $150 and it will likely be that for a couple of years. So to boil down both scenarios, primary and rental. In scenario one, you are completely in control of the property. You are living in what hopefully is the property of your dreams. You can choose to stay there forever and you never have to deal with managing tenants and you can treat that property with the utmost respect and make it last a lifetime. In scenario two, you still own property. The amount of money that you're paying out of pocket every month is significantly less than in scenario one. So. What are you going to do with the difference between what you'd be paying monthly from scenario one to scenario two? Aside from going on vacation and like enjoying the cash, you're going to be saving for your next rental property. And this is really where you see the logic of this strategy makes sense. So now I'm gonna give you the next step. In scenario two, after 10 years, you've raised the rent on the property that you own a little bit, and now you're well in the green. You've been saving, and you repeat the process again. You buy another fairly priced studio with low monthlies, and you rent it out to another tenant. At this 10 year mark, if we assume an average appreciation rate of 3%, you now own two nearly identical studios. Your first studio would have appreciated to around 800,000, I went conservative for this example, and you buy an identical studio. So you do the same thing you did 10 years ago and you buy another identical one. You now have investment property worth $1.6 million in total. And those are two studios valued at around $800,000 each. And you're renting them both out to tenants. So now you might say, but you're still paying rent. You're still paying rent where you live. So how does this logic make sense? Like, okay, you're buying properties, you're renting them out, but you're still paying rent. Most people really can't get past the concept of the fact that they're paying rent. And 
mostly everyone thinks that paying rent is just throwing your money down the toilet. So here's the logic. Let's say now at this 10 year down the line mark, you're collecting $4,000 a month in rent. We use that 3% increase each year, which would net us around $4,000. I'm rounding lows for the sake of being conservative. So now you're collecting around $4,000 a month in rent for both of your investment properties. So total of $8,000 a month. In a year, that totals $96,000 a month of income that you're collecting from your rental properties. If the apartment that you're renting that you're currently living in has also gone up with appreciation and inflation around 3% a year, and you'd be paying in rent around $6,050 each month. So that would total in a year about $72,600 that you are paying out in rent. And right here, after just your second rental property purchase, what you are bringing in in income in rent far outweighs what you are paying out in rent in the home that you live in. So you're taking advantage of the freedom to live wherever you want, to change neighborhoods if you want to, upgrade, downgrade as you see fit because you're renting. So you have that flexibility and also the benefit of paying a little bit less each month than the same apartment would cost to own. And you are collecting more in rent then you are paying out in your own rent. So now every rental property purchase that you make after that, you are simply just adding on to what you're collecting and what you're paying in your own rent is staying the same. So you never had to worry about saving three to $400,000 for the initial down payment to buy that primary residence. However, you are still enjoying the benefits of homeownership, owning property, the tax benefits and the appreciation. Assuming that you don't buy any other rental properties and you just hold on to these two. Those two assets may very well appreciate to over a million dollars each. That's just the trend of appreciation. If you were to do the appreciation calculation and do it for 30 years, you would see that the price nets out way over a million dollars each. But for the sake of this exercise and to really truly not overpromise anything, I rounded down to a million dollars for each property. So right there, you own $2 million in real estate. We're 30 years down the line now, so your mortgages are paid off and you are collecting a significant dollar amount in rent every month. That's quite a savings and quite a monthly payout if you ask me. And it took a fraction of the amount of cash upfront. At that point, you can live wherever you want. You can sell those properties for cash if you want and you can choose to live in a beautiful primary residence in the retirement town of your dreams if you wanted to and you would own it free and clear this is my personal real estate investing strategy i believe in buying small properties as you can as soon as you can buy another small property you buy it, your investments are scattered maybe in different neighborhoods. You can build a well-rounded portfolio. If you need to sell something, you can sell a small property. You can sell one out of a few small properties, have a quick, easy sale, and get the cash that you need instead of worrying about selling a $2 million property and then ultimately owning nothing once that sale is done. You only need to worry about saving a smaller amount of money upfront to make that next investment and then right then you're collecting income. It's kind of like outside of Manhattan and outside of the city, even in many areas of Brooklyn, you have the approach of a multifamily home, which is also very similar because you're buying a large investment and you have one or more tenants 
who are paying you to live there with you, thus offsetting your monthly expenses. It's a very similar concept, but in Manhattan, you can't buy a $2 million property and divide that cost up among other people because a $2 million apartment in Manhattan is not big enough to share with strangers. So in Manhattan and in many parts of Brooklyn where you're just looking at apartments that are pretty expensive, this is a strategy where you can have other people who are helping pay your mortgage and ultimately you are building an investment portfolio that is going to reap you amazing benefits down the road. This is what I've been working on and I plan to continue doing. So as I save money for my next investments, I make small investments over time. This is the basic, basic premise and pretty much everything that I talk about from here on out is going to follow these guidelines, but really, whether you wanna use this logic and this exact strategy or not, whether you're looking for a primary residence or a rental property, these principles are going to apply to you and everything that you need to know about the home purchase process is going to be covered in this investment series. I think it was important to like set the stage early on in the series of what the mindset is and how to really maximize your investment. And then I'm going to continue again with video after video that is gonna cover all the topics that I mentioned in the very first video. And as you guys have questions and you want more detail on one topic over another, we're going to create content that directly speaks to what you're looking for. I would love to create with these videos an online community of people who are adopting this approach and who are making a commitment to themselves and to each other to save up for that first down payment and take these small bites towards owning your own real estate empire. I'm so excited for where this is gonna take us together. Thank you so much again for sticking with this. Please let me know what you thought of this video. Thank you so much, guys.